add my welcome to you all today in this Lord's Day. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Exodus. We'll be looking at, again at chapter 19. <clears throat> As a father to three sons, I have found myself over the years having watched many movies of the superhero genre. I'm pretty sure I've seen most, if not all, of the Avengers series. Prior to that, it was, the, it was X-Men. And so, you know, I, I've seen X-Men, X2, X-Men The Last Stand, X-Men Origins, X-Men First Class, The Wolverine, X-Men Days of Future Past, X-Men Apocalypse, and Logan. No, no relation, I don't think, to Logan. But in the X-Men series, I'm sure you're all familiar with this, uh, I have found myself drawn to certain characters, like Charles Xavier. I've, I've always thought he resembled my friend C.J. Mahaney. Um, Cyclops seemed to be a, a decent and relatively, compared to all the rest of them, less complicated character. But for some reason, it's the relationship between Rogue and the Iceman that stays with me. Rogue, as I'm, again, I'm sure every person in this room knows, uh, is the mutant who not only possesses, maybe everybody does know. I just wasn't quite sure about that. But anyway, Rogue is the only mutant who possesses not only the ability to fly, but also this nature to take the life of others by mere physical touch. And, and, and this attribute, this taking of life by touch is, well, let's just say a, a significant limiting factor when one longs for intimacy, longs for relationship longs for love and the physical touch of another. Rogue is just simply too dangerous for basic friendship. How does one live life with another who is literally too hot to handle? Such is the question answered by our text today. If God's purpose... God's purpose is to gather God's people in God's place in order to enjoy God's presence forever. How's that even possible? How can a holy God whose very presence is a consuming fire fulfill his purpose to to dwell among an unholy people without destroying them. Let's find out. How do God's people live life in God's presence? I want to invite you, if you're able, to please stand and follow along. As I read Exodus chapter 19, I'm going to begin in verse 7 and read through verse The end of the chapter, verse 25. So, Moses came and called the elders of the people and set 
before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, doesn't matter, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So, Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai. To the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses. Go down and warn the people. Lest they break through to the Lord. And many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord. Consecrate themselves. Lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the, to the Lord, lest he break out against them. 
So Moses went down to the people and told them. Word of the Lord, let's pray. Father, if you were to keep a record and mark and take note of our iniquities, who could stand before you? And yet, here we stand. Here we stand, Lord, before you. Here we stand, having drawn near to you. Here we stand in your presence. And you are addressing us through your word. Lord, this is a miraculous moment for your people. And we ask, O oh Father, that you might make your activity, your living presence, your dynamic power discernible among us this day. We pray that not only would you bring illumination to your word, but that you would illustrate it practically, powerfully, by moving among us, saving, purging, cleansing, forgiving, opening the eyes of our hearts, making your presence manifest. Lord, would you work, work, work among your people for your good pleasure, for our great joy, for your praise, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One way I think is fitting to just frame what's going on in Exodus chapter 19 is, is that what we're seeing and hearing is the prelude to a wedding. And if this is, in fact, the prelude to a wedding, it is going to be the most spectacular wedding the world has ever seen. And I say what's happening here is like the prelude to a wedding because, because God himself is coming, he's going to come down and his people are about to get their so-called first look at the one who, in the next chapter, Exodus 20, is going to formalize his covenant relationship with his people. If Exodus 19 is the processional, as it were, Exodus 20 is when God and his bride exchange vows. Exodus 19 is the grand prelude to the ceremony when God places a ring on his bride's finger, as it were, and formalizes his death-do-us-part vow to love her and to forgive her and to take responsibility for her, guiding her, providing for her, and unreservedly giving his whole self to her. Exodus 19 sets the stage for that. And it answers the very crucial question, how is it possible for a holy God to be joined to an unholy people? How can God in white-hot purity be wed to us, dwell among us, without destroying us? And how do God's people Live 
in God's presence. Now, if, it, if it seems unclear, at least at this moment, whether what we are about to witness is a celebration or a cremation, <laughs> let's not forget it is God's pleasure. It is God's pleasure to give His presence to His people. so astonishing. God's great joy. God's great joy is to reside among His people. God's passion is to be known and experienced by His people. God's covenant is to live vitally and dynamically and discernibly among His people. How is this even possible? What do we need to live life with God as His bride? Well, our text shows us at least three things. And the first is this. God's people live in God's presence. They survive in God's presence. They thrive in God's presence through faith. Our covenant relationship with God must be taken hold of by faith. Look again at verses 7 and 8. So Moses came... Hold the elders of the people, set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Do, do you notice how in verse 8, the people respond to God's his gracious offer of this covenant by saying, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, what words, what words is he referring to? They, they, they haven't even heard Exodus 20 yet. <laughs> they haven't even gotten to the, the vows part. Aren't these spoken words referring to what God said in Exodus 19 verses 4 through 6? When God said, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you. On eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You shall be my treasured possession. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Those are the words. When God establishes his covenant, he does all the heavy lifting. He is the eagle. All we do is ride he is the groom. He makes the promises. He offers the blessings to his bride. And he communicates these promises and blessings through his eternal words spoken through his appointed messengers. As we see in verse 9, he says, I am coming to you that the people may hear when I speak. God's the one speaking with Moses through Moses and may also believe what God has said through Moses Forever. Faith comes through hearing. Faith is a gift. And hearing comes through the covenant promises and blessings God speaks. So the wedding of God to his people begins with the Lord declaring, I have loved you. I have delivered you. I have swept you up and carried you. I have forgiven you. I have provided for you. All that I am and all that I have 
is yours. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will you have me? Will you take me and no other to have and to hold from this day forward? So when the children of Israel say, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, among other things, they are confirming that they corporately embrace the promises and the favors of this covenant with which God has blessed them, not only in the past, but all that he has promised to faithfully fulfill for them, among them, through them in the future. They trust him. They acknowledge him to be all that he says he is and do all that he promises to do. They acknowledge him to be their God. They're embracing the covenant through faith. And that's not something that has passed away with the days of the Old Testament. Today, in order to have a vital, saving relationship with God, in order to experience His active presence and in one's life, one still must embrace the covenant of grace through faith. We trust the promises that He has made to us. I'm sure that there are people with whom you are friends who believe that God exists. They may believe that He is a God of love. They may believe that He's a God of mercy and compassion. They may even believe some, perhaps many of the things that the Bible says about Him. But they've never embraced Him. They've never entrusted themselves to Him. They've never taken hold of Him the way a bride takes hold of her groom. They've never put the ring on their finger. When God is offering His gracious, living, active presence, it must be embraced. And the way God's people do that is by entrusting themselves to all that God has promised to be for them. God's people live in God's presence through faith. Second, God's people live in God's presence through faith. But Moses, what the Lord describes through Moses as consecration. Consecration. Clearly, <laughs> clearly living life in the presence of God, according to this text, would be a serious business. Experiencing the active presence of God is nothing to be trifled with. Look again at verses 10 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people. And consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So, what does that mean? What does it mean to consecrate something or consecrate someone? I think we get a sense of it through 
in the context here through three particular acts which God commands. First, the act of washing garments. God's holy. People are not. God is clean. People are not relative to God. We are not. To live life in God's presence, you must be made clean. You must be made acceptable. You must be made holy. Second, to engage with God, one must be ready. It's just not something that we can take in a cavalier way. It requires singular, dedicated, intentional focus. In 14 and 15 it says, So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Wash, be ready. Don't go near a woman. That there are times when husbands and wives pause from their conjugal relations in order to focus all their attention on their life with the Lord. That, that, that's, something, that's something that people need to do. It's, it's like fasting. It's like fasting. It's, it's not because conjugal relations are unlawful or sinful or dirty. It's because our relationship with God is the most important relationship in our lives. This is why the Apostle Paul writes in to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. He says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Do not deprive one another. Except, perhaps, by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. That's, I believe, what the Lord is saying in Exodus 19. It's because engaging with God, all that that requires, it, it, it takes focused devotion and attention and intentionality. In Christ, God says, we are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And as such, we shall not have other gods before us. We shall not engage in worship of any other deities. We shall not put anything else before the Lord. We shall shall forsake all others for the sake of being. What God has meant for us to be. Priests. Holy nation. Are you ready to to meet with God? (laughs) How do you prepare yourself to do life with God? It requires grace. It requires faith. It requires taking intentional steps. Thirdly, consecration means accepting God's divinely established boundaries and limits. You know, you, you know, what's clear about this text is that God cares about how we approach Him. It matters to God how we worship Him. It matters to God how we draw near to Him. God compassionately and gently and wonderfully and sovereignly swoops down and lifts up his people as it were on eagles' wings. 
but he is not our little buddy. Life with God is holy ground. And accepting his boundaries and his limits means, it means humble acknowledgement that he is God, we're not. Humble acknowledgement that we need a righteousness not of our own doing in order to experience God's nearness. And therefore, God's people may only live in God's presence through a mediator. The, the, the apparent necessity of a mediator, I mean, it just, <laughs> it absolutely permeates this passage. Beginning in verse 7, Moses came, set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. I mean, there's no, you don't get any sense that it's the people talking to the Lord directly. It's, it's always through this intermediator. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go, you tell the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Verse 17, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, Verse 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up, not the people. Moses is the mediator. And without a God-appointed, God-approved mediator, God's people cannot approach, much less live in God's presence. The psalmist writes, if God were to mark our iniquities, who could stand? And the answer is, nobody. Nobody could stand. And yet here we are. Here I am standing, living, breathing. This is a miracle. And we're only living because we have a mediator. We, have a, we, have, we not only have a mediator, we have a mediator who far supersedes the qualifications of Moses. According to the author of Hebrews, who recounts the very events described here in Exodus 19, the author of Hebrews writes, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight on that day that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. How do God's people live in God's presence? It's through faith 
in all that God has promised to be for us, in, by faith in all that God has promised and fulfilled to do for us, with consecration, with humble confession, honest repentance for sin, and with the hopeful confidence of a better mediator by whose blood we enter into the very presence of God. Now, not every day is like the day described in Exodus 19. Not every day is like a wedding day with God. Not every moment, not every quiet time, not every prayer walk, not every discipleship huddle, not every worship gathering is like standing on the edge of an active volcano. Though some of us might think that was cool once in a while. How God chose to reveal himself to his people in Exodus 19 has never happened the same way again. Today, God has chosen to make his living, active, dynamic presence known to us through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Today, the Holy Spirit's job is to make the presence of God real to us in our experience so that we know God's presence, so that we feel God's presence. Loved ones, listen, there's only one way that we can know and feel and experience the presence of God. Only one way, and that is by God giving us the Holy Spirit. There's a problem. Because we've all sinned, God has to punish us. It would be unjust for Him to give us something as precious as the Holy Spirit. So God has to punish us. But in, in mind-blowing Mercy and love. God was willing to punish his own son in our place for our sins. And Jesus, God's own son, was willing to be punished in our place for our sins. So our sins are punished. But they are punished in the body and the death of another in our place. So here's what happens. You're going through life, ignoring God, blowing off His presence like He doesn't exist, rebelling against Him, trying to find your satisfaction in your job or your achievements or by getting thin and ripped and tan or something like that, finding your soulmate or sipping on the the richest, most complex Sauvignon Blancity, Blanc, Blanc, Blanc. But you are not satisfied. And you're, you're just not all that interested in Jesus. But then someday, one day, somebody tells you about Jesus. And as they tell you about Jesus, your, your heart changes. And... and and you, you see Jesus as he really is, like infinite, infinite in love, astonishingly merciful, incredibly good, and heart-satisfying. And, and you turn from other things that you had been trusting to fill you, and you turn to trust Jesus to fill you, and forgive you, and provide for you, and guide you, and be everything to you. And then God does something 
insanely crazy, wonderful, amazing. He doesn't, he does not come down with thunder and lightning and a thick cloud and fiery furnace experiences. Doesn't blow some long trumpet blast. He, he, he doesn't cause an earthquake. Rather, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, whose job it is to make God's living, active, dynamic, discernible presence all real to you. The New Testament teaches us that whenever someone turns to trust Jesus and takes this intentional step of consecration, repentance from sins, devotion, accepts Jesus as their mediator, God gives them his presence. God gives them the Holy Spirit. Listen to the kind of things that happen. The Spirit illuminates the presence of the Lord. Jesus says in John 14, 16, 17, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. God makes his love real, tangible. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God gives us assurance that we actually, truly, authentically belong to him. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom? By this spirit. We cry, Abba, Father. It is the spirit himself who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, it, it may not be a display of pyrotechnics, but when the Spirit moves, God's presence is like rivers of living water in our hearts. John 7, 37 to 39. Jesus stood up, cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers flowing from your heart. That, That would be something that you would know was happening. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. It is the Spirit who produces discernible evidences of God's activity, grace as we call it, in our lives, Galatians 5, to 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, things that this world, these are not common traits today. It takes something divine to generate that. How do God's people live in God's presence today? Well, it is... Through faith and consecration and by the work of a mediator and through the empowering and ongoing work of the third person of the Trinity. I'm just going to end with this word from J.I. Packer. 
which I think sums this up for us today, and then we're going to consecrate ourselves anew and afresh at the Lord's table. Packer writes, What is the essence of the heart and core of the Spirit's work today? Presence. Presence. Since the Pentecost of Acts 2, this this essentially is what the Spirit is doing all the time as He empowers, enables, purges, and leads generation after generation of sinners to face the reality of God. And He does it in order that Christ may be known, loved, trusted, honored, and praised, which is the Spirit's aim and purpose throughout as it is the aim and purpose of God the Father too. Friends, brothers and sisters, loved ones, it is God's pleasure and purpose and promise to give God's presence to you, God's people. Let's pray. If you're, um, if you're with us in this gathering today, and, and you're, not, you're not set on experiencing something like cataclysmic display of God's power. You, you just be happy. You would just be happy with a, a still, small whisper. I'm here. I'm here for you today. I'm with you today. I'm for you today. I haven't forgotten you today. I know what concerns you today. If you just heard that, if you just had that, just some like a little crumb from the table. Oh, may you hear the Father's heart to you. For if we, earthly parents, who are a full-on mixture of good intentions and sinful failings and shortcomings, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly Father reveal His presence and give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And so trust a promise today. A promise like, fear not, for I am with you. I will be with you, even to the end of the age. Turn, turn from known sins. Confess them. Admit them. Ask for forgiveness for them. And trust God's promise to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and, and to count you as though you have the very righteousness of Christ.
and turn your eyes upon Jesus, the better mediator, the better covenant. Look full into his wonderful face. He gave his life. He laid down his life that you might experience the nearness of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus.